Welcome to episode 144 of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe co-created by Bruce Tim. I am Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. I'm a little hungover today. That's fine. I got the energy today. <laughs> As always. The problem I'm is... carrying this podcast on my back. Well, I am the villain. Yeah. Which means I always have to undercut us in whatever way I possibly can. That's true. The problem is, is that I just have like the low energy of being hungover, but not the super sexy gravelly voice that I occasionally get from it. Mm-hmm. So this is really benefiting nobody. That's fine. Whatsoever. We're going to power through. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we're uh, we're back with some more Static Shock this week. We're finally watching the episode that you watched and I didn't, not the episode that I watched and you didn't. That is correct. <laughs> but, plus another one, uh, good old Sunspot. But first, uh, a little bit of news. What do you have today, Chris? Well, I mean, pulling off of... Uh, that's not the right phrase. Moving on. Pulling of, out? Is that the phrase you want? That's definitely not the phrase I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Coming off of the news from last week? Sure. Sure. Let's, let's go with that. Uh, but we got the like official look at the Batman's bat suit. We did. Last week. This week, we're now getting our first uh, set photos and set videos coming out of there. So it's... Uh, Can you play silent off phones, if you don't mind? Uh, it's actually probably someone messaging us on Instagram <laughs> for this very podcast. It is, in fact, that exact thing. So we will get to that Can later. You- can you please silence off phones yeah, and electronic it, devices? It's on silent now. Wait, actually, hang on, let me. Okay, get my laptop on silent too. Um, but yeah, so we start getting some set photos and set videos. So uh, this is looks like Robert Pattinson's stunt double. Yes, riding the new bat cycle. Also, great chin, solid chin. I mean, solid even chin. when you're pretending to be our pats, you got to have that chin. There. Yeah, mm, it's good chin. It's good chin. Uh, but it's right. I might say the crimson chin. I mean, it's on par with the Crimson Gin. Almost. Yeah. It's, it's near Jay Leno. <laughs> but I mean, nothing really comes close to Jay Leno. That's true. He, he is the villain. He is the chin villain. He's, 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 come, he's too strong with his chin. Uh, someone I realized recently has also great chin, uh, Sean Mendez. I've never really given him much thought at all as like a, a human being. But the someone... director? No, that's Sam Mendes. Oh, the singer. Yes, got exactly. It. But uh, someone showed me a photo of him this week. And yeah, he's got good chin. Yeah. Good chin. Should we have an episode where we just rank chins? Let's do it. <laughs> I mean, there was there was that great IO9 Gizmodo article that came out this week about ranking the Batman lips. Amazing. That's good. <laughs> we'll have to do our own segment on just the bat chins. I'm, I'm trying to think of what were the other chin puns from the Crimson. There was Chincinnati, oh, of course, where he's yeah. from. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Clef the Boy Chin Wonder was was Timmy's name, which is fantastic. Which is like the the older I get, the more I appreciate that name. Yeah. Um, I, I, he had a, he had a dog. He did? He did. I, it's not coming to me anymore. It's been a while. All right. I'll let you ponder that for a little bit. Um, set but yeah, photos. That's what we're yeah, talking set about. Yeah, set photos. So they're, they're filming out in, uh, Glasgow, Scotland, which is actually pretty cool. I've been there. Mm-hmm. It's very, like, kind of industrial and gothic. Like, I think it'll be a cool aesthetic they're going for in terms of their version of Gotham. Mm-hmm. And they're actually filming near the... Necropolis, which is like a, a big church slash cemetery out there. So I've been there. Nice. Which is pretty cool. I'm like, oh, this all looks really familiar. Um, bat cycle looks cool. We got a nice like bat sort of hood thing going on in the front of it. I'm gonna be honest though, I'm not really loving the You're rest of this. You're not feeling it. Yeah. I'm not feeling the rest of this bat suit. It looks like a proto bat suit. I mean, that that is a possibility. This is which, this is a new Batman. I know, which I don't really want them to do again. Like, 
uh, I mean, this is me being a, a nitpicky well, fan once you, again. You don't want an origin story? I mean, no, one, no, I don't want an origin <laughs> story, which I think I'm hoping they they mostly avoid. And I've talked about before that I there are a lot of things about this movie I'm excited about, but I'm not super excited for yet another young Batman. Cause, like we haven't really had like the older, a good version of the older Batman with like the whole history and the family and stuff. But I don't necessarily love the look of it. It looks it looks even more quote unquote practical than the dark knight suit, mm-hmm. which I thought worked fine for what it was, but I was never like, the, the biggest fan of, um, like the emblem was cool. Obviously it's armored, which I like, but you know, it's got these like really ugly looking like gauntlets on there, like hugely ugly looking. And it's got so many belts and straps. I mean, it's, it's competing with like Rob Liefeld of the nineties in terms of how many belts competing and straps are on this final thing. fantasy, final fantasy levels. Yeah, exactly. They watch a lot of final fantasy. They read a lot of it's cable a, comics. It's a, it's a game. They watched. They, they watched the cutscenes from the game. <laughs> God damn it! You know I don't know anything about Final Fantasy. I know, so I threw it out there. I've never watched a single one in my entire life. <laughs> also, to be well, fair, there, there is a Final Fantasy movie. I know that there are two actually. Well, see, there Final you go. Fantasy, I have children. Further proving that I don't know a goddamn thing about <laughs> Final Fantasy. Beautiful movie. Um, but that's the the CGI one, right? Yeah, it did look beautiful gorgeous. Hair. Great hair. How do the have you watched it recently? How do the effects hold up on that? I think they hold up pretty well. I mean, the movie was made in two thousand seven, and mm-hmm. like seeing the other movies that came out around that time, this is beautiful. But not as beautiful as Speed Racer, obviously. Not as beautiful. <laughs> I mean, nothing compares to Speed Racer. <laughs> the physics of of Advent Children is one of my favorite things because they don't exist. There's just no physics in that universe. Yeah. There, there's a scene where there's like a giant monster coming in, and there's like eight eight of the good guys. And they're trying to get Cloud up to his head. Mm-hmm. And so Cloud is like jumping up um, the skyscraper. And then the building ends and he's only halfway up the monster. And so then his friends all jump up and he jumps into their hands and they throw him up while they're midair. That doesn't work. It does, though. But but no. It, it's, it's called Super Mario Logic. Okay. You know what? I do love me some Super Mario Logic. Um <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not super digging this suit. Uh, as Ashley Clark pointed out, it kind of looks like it looks like an insect a little bit because it's got goggles on it. I I think, and I I will stand by this until we get other set photos. And this is also kind of plays into my point from last week, or not point. My question from last week of why do we have uh, promo shots coming out for these movies, and it's because of this exact thing, where we have one set photo get leaked and the entire fandom turns against the film. Chris, it looks dumb. I'm sorry, it looks dumb. Like, look, the emblem looks cool. Like, the torso looks good, but the gauntlet looks like terrible. The shoulder pads are huge. He, the yeah, the head looks weirdly like bulky and bubbly. And I'm just, uh... I I think this might be like a a uh, a bat cycle specific suit. I because it it, it looks like a motorcycle jacket. See, I think that's maybe part of the aesthetic they're going for, is I feel like they're doing what Nolan did a little bit of trying to come up with like an in-universe justification for the suit. Which mm-hmm. I'm like, do we really need that? Can it just be he's a comic book character? Like we had four Batman films and an entire animated series and universe where we didn't have to justify having a costume. Marvel at this point doesn't try and justify why they have the costumes. They just do. Well, Marvel is smart because they they half justify. Of like, oh, it's new Kevlar. And we go, okay. 
Did they ever do that? Yeah, with uh, Cap's outfit in Winter Soldier. They talk about how his new... Because that was like the big thing of like he, him going back to his old suit was it didn't, ha- it didn't have the same protection uh, okay. that his updated suit had Yeah, uh, when he was fighting Bucky. But it's like they... Okay, so we're, we're going to go on a Marvel tangent here, as we often do. Obviously, they they justify the existence of the Iron Man suit, but that's like integral to the plot and character. Like right. He's creating something that's never been created before, so there has to be an explanation for it. Thor just looks like Thor. Yep. And then Cap... He's just a god. He's just, ugh, just a very sexy god. And then with Cap... They do like, they do that hap. They do that l- initial step by putting him in like, the costume, like the the sh- um, USO showcase costume, and then they do that amazing thing where he's like, then he militarizes it, putting the jacket on the helmet, like that works super well. And then they're like, okay, now we're gonna create our own version. But, like even that's like the one real explanation. From that point on, like everyone just has a costume. There's really no explanation for it. Yeah, and like oh, because we can just do that now, and you don't need to justify it except for dc which either refuses to put them in a costume still or feels like they need to justify it somehow well, it's the realism argument again but <clears throat> dc is so adamant on just being nolan forever yeah and that's and that's my one concern about maybe this movie a little bit it's like oh you're just nolanifying it once mm-hmm. again and like i will this will give oh my god i can't believe who i've become Ugh. suicide squad no, this is where I'm going to give Zack Snyder a little bit of credit. Oh, okay. Holy shit. I've become one of those horrible release the Snyder cut. Release the boys. cut. Oh, no. What was the, wait, what was the movie we watched last week where we found out there were two cuts? Oh, 3,000 Miles to Graceland. <laughs> 3,000 Miles. For people who haven't ever heard of or seen this movie, we I was just introduced to this last week. It's a god-awful film. I have fun with it. It's it's uh who who is it's uh, Kurt Russell, mm-hmm. Kevin Costner, Kevin Costner, and uh, Courtney our, Cox are are Elvis impersonators and potentially children of Elvis. Yeah, um, who rob a casino in Vegas and then try and get away with the money. Uh, we found out those two hated each other so much on set and and disliked the edit that both lead actors made their own cut of the movie mm-hmm. and shared it with test screeners in which everyone had the more positive feedback got shown you know globally yeah and we can assume from watching the movie that the cost not cost the the Russell, the Russell cut. cut is the one that came out so if you guys want to start a second petition alongside release the Snyder cut you can ask <laughs> to release, release the Costner cut release the Costner <laughs> cut of this horrible movie. That that must have been extra insulting to Kevin Costner, who is like an actually well-regarded filmmaker in his own right. And as yeah. far as I know, Kurt Russell's never directed anything before. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that's just oh man, really, that was a bad, really twist of the knife. I it was a bad weekend. I you, have fun. <laughs> I have fun with it. It was a bad weekend just because the one movie was a bad <laughs> weekend. You. <laughs> I made you. I didn't make you watch that movie. I didn't even choose yeah, it. Yeah, Shane su- picked it. I suggested it. Mm-hmm. I stand behind it, guys. Go watch 3000 so, Miles so, so you were saying it's you're insane. supporting Snyder in every decision he's ever made. Yes, every decision ever made. But I will at least give him, like, I don't think it's his fault. Oh, God, who have I fucking become? I don't think it's his fault entirely that the tone of Man of Steel is off. I mean, one, he doesn't understand Superman as a character. We've talked about that a lot. However, I think that was still Warner Brothers' decision just trying to make it the dark Knight, but for Superman, which was a mistake. And I will at least give him credit that his Batman costume is probably one of the best ever. The one from BVS. Mm -hmm. 
I think both the armored suit and the the normal bat suit are by probably some of the best ever because it was just it looked both functional but also like very very comic booky and I will give him credit for at least. Well, doing I think that. because he was smart to base it off of the Dark Knight Returns suit, yeah, which was already kind of modified to help him kind of level himself against Superman. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you're talking about the the actual armored suit. Yeah, the mech suit. Well, I mean that, uh, but also he has his normal suit. Yeah, mm-hmm. like that's a good suit. I'm like just just do that maybe and and i feel like dc has has kind of wavered on this line i think batman is kind of their stance because like wonder woman got to be more practical yeah that wonder woman costume practical looks great um and the new one's a little more colorful realism formalism formalism (laughs) we did it finally uh shazam was the same way shazam got to be more and they finally put aquaman in his comic costume look great yeah um just do it yeah also there's no cape on this the, that that was one of the things. I is, are we gonna get a CG cape? Get this bullshit CG cape? We might. Bullshit. We might. I hate it. I'm on your team now. Did you? That it, that's that's why I think this is like a specific motorcycle one. It, because I because there is no cape. It might be, but I, I mean the fact I'm the reason I think it isn't or or it's a uh, like he pressed a button and the cape like sucks up into the top of his suit. <laughs> yeah, it's like a clothes hang not a clothes hanger like a. The, one of those things. A curtain? Yeah, it's like a curtain. <laughs> That's, it's not even a curtain, they're blinds. <laughs> blinds. Shit. We'll get there. So, I mean, I would love it if that... If he's yeah, like, he has a left side, which is like, up, and then a right a, side. He's got a pull string, and he's standing there like trying, like trying to pull it at the right angle to make it release. Like, yeah. fuck, no. If I, Alfred! More to the right! More to the right! Uh, but Okay, my, my thinking as to why it's not a motorcycle-specific suit is it has the the emblem on it that is theoretically or theorized to be made from the gun that killed his parents. And yeah. I feel like you wouldn't have multiple suits then if that were the case. There are a lot of guns. <laughs> we learned it wasn't one. It was multiple people that shot his parents this time. <laughs> How can we do the same thing over and over again but make it more extreme? It's, you know what it is? Mm. It's multiverse. <laughs> He's just gone through, <laughs> He's gone through the and multiverse. taken the gun from every multiverse version. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I love if the movie were really, really grand and realistic, except for that one detail. Yeah. It's like, where, where are all these guns from? Oh, I'm just hopping to the multiverse. The what? Doesn't matter. Let's just keep going. Well, so here, here's the tie-in. He, every, every Gotham has one villain, uh, and most of those villains have one. And so now they're going after Bat, the Batman. Okay. Which is our Pat's Batman. Our Bat's Bat Pats. Wait, so, so are you saying that we're gonna get like the Jack Nicholson Joker in there too? Like, no, 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 no. Just the villains that are already in this movie. Oh, each of them come from a different universe. Yes, a yes, different so you have the Riddler who beat his Joker, or sorry, the Riddler to beat his Batman. Oh, okay, the Penguin to beat his Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the villains that we have? Catwoman, Catwoman, Carmine Falcone. Yeah, so Falcone, I think, will be the base. Okay, here. Um. And then all the other villains are going to come from multiverse. They all just show up Terminator style. Exactly. I'm so here for it. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm back Butt on. Naked. I'm back on board. <laughs> I mean, the penguin's played by Colin Farrell. So yeah, I, I'm on board with this. The only time I ever want to see the penguin naked. <laughs> Good old it's Colin Farrell. Not not Danny DeVito. Mm-hmm. Did you see the the picture of of baby Danny DeVito that came out a few like two or three weeks ago? No. Everyone was. It's in the midst of the baby Yoda hype, and the the. The factions of Baby Yoda versus Baby Groot 
Mm-hmm. Uh, armies. What? Who? Who is legitimately trying to make a case for Baby Groot over Baby? Yoda? A lot of people, surprisingly. Wrong. They're so wrong. My favorite tweet has been, uh, "I will, uh, I will cut up Baby Groot and set him on fire just to keep Baby Yoda warm." Yeah, same. Yeah. Uh, but now, in the midst of all that, someone released a baby photo of Danny DeVito, mm-hmm. and it is precious. Baby Danny. Yeah. Baby DeVito. Because he looks the exact same. I bet he does. <laughs> He's, he's still balding just has like the tufts going off on the mm-hmm. side yeah it's adorable love Jay devito uh but i don't know well we've made it through one news segment so what, one news thing i mean it's just so much talk about on these three photos of a bat suit from a movie that we're not gonna see yeah for another year and a half uh but you want to talk a little bit about uh harley quinn i do so we talked last week that harley quinn is not doing great in theaters and i wanted to kind of put an addendum to that that it is not doing great comparatively to the other DC films. Mm-hmm. For Warner Brothers, it's still doing pretty well. Okay. So comparing it to the last R film from February that Warner Brothers Well, nothing's going to come close to the Joker. Well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm just saying in the bubble oh, that we're in. Okay, in the any, bubble of any February, Warner Brothers film. Yes, the last one that came out was um, Kingsman a couple years ago. That's not Warner Brothers. Well, the last one they compared it to was Kingsman. Okay, I was gonna say yeah, one. Uh, that's the that legendary Sony. Uni- the Universal Alliance Gate, maybe. I don't remember. No, it's Fox. I'm saying it's Fox. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's right. It's Fox. Um, so Kingsman was the last R-rated. I mean, not counting Deadpool, R-rated superhero film that's in the same kind of budget range sure. as, as this movie was. The first Kingsman or Kingsman 2? The first Kingsman. First Kingsman, okay. first Kingsman made almost the exact same amount of money opening weekend, about mm-hmm. $33 million. Uh, and uh, Birds of Prey is still keeping up with the Kingsman numbers. Oh, okay. But that being said... That was also 2014. That was 2014. And also, they don't have China at all. China has closed all their movie theaters since Oh, right, January, because of the virus, yeah. Because of the virus. So we're not including... One of the biggest market, one of the biggest film markets. Oh, so it's actually that's universe. actually further showing that it's doing well because despite not having that incredibly large territory, it's still it's still doing okay. Yeah, it's still it has broken even at this point. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I, I we we were talking about it doing horribly. It is it is not doing great, but it is also not like horrible. No, I mean, I think it's. Part of the thing, too, is that these ideas like, oh, it's underperforming. It's like, well, that just means that the estimations that came through like weren't accurate Mm -hmm. because no one really knows how these things are going to do. Right. At the end of the day, like it's I don't know how that's all tallied, but it doesn't actually work in a way that really effectively communicates how it's supposed to work. Yeah. So I, I think there is still potential for this to have a few have a sequel at least. Okay. I think I think that is still an option. I certainly hope it does. Mm-hmm. Like, I want it to have a sequel. I want more movies like this. Um, also, apropos of this conversation, Ashley Clark sent me something on Instagram. I sent us something on Instagram. Um, and it was a tweet of an article. So the article is, most of the negative reviews uh, for Birds of Prey are from men. Mm-hmm. And the tweet was, a movie made by a woman, produced by a woman, starring women, is getting negative reviews from men, and water is wet. Yeah. And I was like, oh, fuck, I'm one of those people. <laughs> Look at you, <laughs> you man. What have I become? I've become the DC fan 
You're a DC that, incel it's over like here. Just, oh, oh my God, I have become a DC incel. Like, I'm the guy who's like over here like saying how Zack Snyder's underappreciated and how he didn't appreciate Birds of Prey. That's right. <laughs> Cameron, you I'm, know, the, you know what I'm Birds the problem. If it was directed by Zack Snyder. God, no, it wouldn't. Oh, I'm the problem. Should I just abdicate? Should I just walk away at this point? Yeah, I can finish up here. Okay, yeah, you got this? You can find us at Tim Talk Pod on Facebook, Instagram, Gmail, and... I forget Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need Twitter. You don't need Twitter. Um, no, I mean, I, I hope they make more stuff like this. I agree. I really do. Um, I have a speed racer too. We're never going to get a speed racer too. That's, that's long, long gone at this point. Uh, I had one other quick little thing I want to talk about. So the uh, New York toy fair is going on right now. Ooh. So we've been getting some cool uh, reveals. They are doing some great baby Yoda merchandise. Finally. It's getting mm-hmm. put out there, including like a little animatronic one. It's only like sixty bucks, surprisingly. I, I think <clears throat> I I don't want to say they've missed the bubble, but they've they're definitely not at peak Baby Yoda anymore. Well, no, yeah, I mean they've definitely like, missed... this needed to be this needed to be coming out pre Christmas. Yeah, I mean they've missed the holidays, which is when they really didn't have this stuff coming out. Um, or but... even fucking pre Valentine's Day. Like, could you imagine getting a Baby Yoda with your like bouquet of roses? Yeah, that would have been adorable. I would have been so here for it. Um, but the, one of the cool things that's also come out, so the, uh, the company NECA, 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 N-E-C-A. Sure. NECA. Yep. <laughs> They're doing, um, one-to-one scale DC props. Mm-hmm. Uh, so amongst the, uh, the photos that Jeb sent me here, they have like, uh, some kryptonite and a canister. They have Nightwing's Escrima sticks from Ooh. Arkham. They have the... Batarang and Batman or uh, the zipline gun from the first Batman movie. They're looking pretty sweet here. Uh, but the the coolest things they have is they have. Wait, does that mean we can be the the other kid from Shazam who just keeps a Batarang yeah. at his desk at all times? We can absolutely be those people. Oh, thank God. The fact that we don't have Batarangs is really quite surprising. Yeah. Do you not have a Batarang? I don't. I don't have a Batarang either. That's surprising. What are we doing with our lives? Not wasting enough money. Clearly. Uh, but here's where we're wasting money on. Animated series Bat Grapple. Hell yeah. Uh, the animated series Harley Quinn, like, pop gun. Beautiful. With the revolver That's really with, pretty. like, the plug in the front of it. Yeah. Mr. Freeze's goggles yeah. and gun. Okay, and I'm then normal goggles. the best one, the best one of them all. The Batman Beyond Batarang. Ooh, that's a pretty one. It's looking real damn fine. Do you have a price point on that? Uh, no, not yet, but I'll be buying at least one. So, I'm going <sighs> to guess around like a 120 range. Yeah, Seems probably. like a, a good Batarang price. Yeah, I know. Just too much for you to justify throwing it at people. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, any other news or shall we get on to uh, uh, what we're here to talk about? I don't, know, I don't think we can talk about it, so you can cut this out if you want. Uh, they, did we talk about the Batman comics already? Oh, didn't Dan DiDio get fired? Oh, I meant that they're continuing animated series. Paul Dini is oh, making new Batman Yes, we forgot comics. to talk about that entirely. Yeah. Yeah. Why couldn't we talk about that? No, I just, because I, I don't have anything else to say about it. Oh, no, but like, yeah, cool. yeah. <laughs> they're, they're doing a continuation of the, yeah, the, the DCAU in comic form again. That's right. Written by Paul Dini. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Super excited for that. We forgot to talk about that last week, didn't we? Yeah. Great. <laughs> it was all that bat suit talk. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, no, the thing I was talking about is that uh, Dan DiDio, who I know is, what, a writer or one of the, the head creatives over at DC, he got fired. Okay. But I don't know anything about that. Neither do I. So that's probably what we should cut out. Mm-hmm. But this one I'm not going to. Because we've mentioned it far too many <laughs> it's times. It's too integrated. Yeah. <laughs> we've just slipped the phrase Dan DiDio, who I'm, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong anyways, through various points in the podcast. Yes. So that was impossible for me to cut it out. That's fine. I mean, I can make it sound like you're cutting around me, and then we... Oh, but it, yeah, so that, I mean, that, that was a really good point that you made, too. Oh, so fluid. Yeah. <laughs> so perfect. All right. Should we talk Static Shock? Let's do it. All right. So we're talking Frozen Out, a, a new addition to the holiday episodes of the DCAU, and a pretty damn good one. Of one of the best ones. I would say, yeah. Top I mean, three, I would, I would think. I mean, there's like five. Yeah. So. I stand by it. Okay. But no, I mean, this one's good because Static basically goes up against Elsa. Uh, yeah, a homeless Elsa. Homeless Elsa, mm-hmm. yeah. So Elsa, who doesn't live in a castle. And doesn't sing. Or doesn't sing. Well, we don't know that she doesn't sing. Well, in this episode, we don't hear her sing. Yeah, but she, maybe she has an amazing singing voice. Yeah, maybe we'll see her next time sing. Never, she's never come back again, no, is she? she's no, not. absolutely not. No follow-through on that. Uh, but yeah, so it's a character who goes by the name of Permafrost. Yeah, great name. It is a good That's name. That's a great villain name. I mean, yeah, so it's essentially just a... She's basically Killer Frost, in essence. But homeless. But homeless. You keep forgetting the, the main part about her. No, I recognize the main part about her is the fact that she's homeless. Mm-hmm. It's the best part of this episode. It's like, it's one of their lesson of the week episodes. Right. But the nice thing about Static Shock is when they do that, they actually do a really good job with it, as they do here. Mm-hmm. I agree. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we, we, and this is also one where, where we've mentioned a couple times now in, in the holiday episode, and then last week, or two weeks ago. Um, this is also nice because it's like, it's a weirdly religious episode at the same time. They kind of go through every religion. Yeah. I mean, the, it opens up with him at Frida's house. Yep. Character we Hanukkah. all thought was replaced by Daisy. Completely written out, but there she shows up once again, surprisingly. Uh, but yeah, it's we're at her house for a Hanukkah celebration with her family. And Virgil makes a comment about another person who's doing a Ramadan event. Another person. Daisy is doing a Kwanzaa party. Omar yeah. is doing a Ramadan feast. And then, of course, there's actually Christmas going on there, too. And, yeah, it it, it really doesn't address... Like, it, it isn't really holiday-focused. Like, there's no Santa Claus in there at all. Um, it is that That's a big point, because this is the only Christmas special that doesn't show Santa. Exactly, yeah. And, I mean, just given that where the episode starts at this party, the vast majority of the episode, or the, the whatever religious celebration dominates it the most, would be, in fact, Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. Is there, I'm trying to remember if there's a, another... Is there a Hanukkah episode anywhere else in the DCAU? I don't think so. Uh, not that I can think of. No. They always they always like squeeze it in in most in most shows. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, almost always is like the butt of a joke. Yeah, usually. Yeah. But I mean, here they do a really nice job with it, and the episode even ends with like a a, a, a multi-denominational uh, event at the the church. Mm-hmm. And. It's just nice how they focus on that side of things a little bit. And for it being very religious, it didn't feel bombarding. Yeah, it wasn't. And this, I, I realize how reductive this sounds, but it didn't feel in your face religious. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of more all about the, the idea of 
helping other people where you possibly can. And that at one point in the world that had ties to religious beliefs. Right. Maybe less so now. A little bit. <laughs> uh, so they're at uh, Frida's place for Hanukkah and there's a citywide blackout that happens. Virgil goes to check it out and realizes that the electric factory. Damn you. <laughs> had been completely frozen God damn over. you. Um, well, 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 not, what would that be called? Like, not the a power sector, plant. The power plant. You jackass. The electric factory uh, had been completely frozen over. Um, By, but he doesn't know it's permafrost. He just goes there and he uses all of his energy to melt the ice. Because that makes sense. Just makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then all of a sudden a new bang baby shows up new. Well, he doesn't even know where this is coming from. Cause all of a sudden just icicles start falling from the sky. I thought that was a pretty well done effect. Actually. Mm-hmm. The uh, animation of this episode is great. It is really good. I, yeah. I think this might be the best of the season so far. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. I know it looks really fantastic. And then he, he has to go and recharge himself off of like a power station there to get his mm-hmm. juice back. But he doesn't know what's going on, but he just sees this young homeless girl asking for, any sort of help he can possibly offer and he dismisses it really quick to keep off because keep going because he assumes there's still a, a bang baby out there somewhere. Right. But little does he know that's the bang baby. Mm-hmm. Elsa. Elsa. Homeless Elsa. Homeless Elsa. Who doesn't sing. <sighs> yet. Yet that we know of. Yeah. And so, it, but it, it's him then trying to figure out who's causing all these snowstorms and then he's at the mall with Daisy mm-hmm. And Frida Perma- 2.0. Frida 2.0. Permafrost shows up again and has a traumatic moment because she sees this mom trying to protect her kid. And she has flashbacks to when the, her stepdad, I guess, just looked real ominous. And somehow it killed the mom? Like, she was already sick. Yeah, the mom was already sick. They left, the, the dad left them. And then just kind of being poor on her own, the mom dies. Yeah. Which leaves um, permafrost on Maureen. her own. Yes. Yeah, Maureen on her own. And so there's this whole thing about this this glass guardian angel statue um, that she carries with her outside when her mom gets taken away in the ambulance and when the social services come to... I think it, I think it was the tree topper. I guess it is. That's what I assumed it was. Yeah, but it's glass. Yes. So who puts... Who would put... Who? Okay, Cameron. Mm-hmm. Who puts a glass angel on top of a Christmas tree? People who really believe that Jesus will keep it up there. <laughs> like ones that people that don't have cats, people that don't have dogs, for sure. Small children. Small children. Frail old people in yeah. their house. Uh, it's, it's, people it's who cl- like to walk around barefoot. It's clearly a fake tree because that thing's not going to catch on fire. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I, a lot of faith. I, I think it's meant to be a glass like statue that you put out like on a counter okay. somewhere more i mean because it looks like it should be a tree topper because mm-hmm. that's what most of them are is just some either a star or just some angel but yeah so the she tries to run away from social services and the statue shatters and so that becomes like a motif over the course of the episode we keep seeing guardian angels which obviously is a metaphor for the fact that static is the guardian angel that's right but it's done in a pretty decent job i i'll save it for the end but i i have a way I think we should have rewritten this episode. Okay. And not made it a two-parter. Shocking. A three-parter. So, there we go. Now it makes more sense. Like, like <laughs> You get I, I one think, holiday per episode. I, well, I think in the entirety of the DCAU, there have been 
two three-parter episodes, right? Superman I, intro and... Oh, no, sorry, three. Yeah, the, the, the premiere of Superman. Mm-hmm. And then uh, is it is the episode called The Savage Time, but it's when most of Justice League goes back to World War II. That's but three parts? I'm pretty sure it's a three-parter, isn't it? I think all Justice Leagues are two parts. Starcrossed was three, though. Which one's Starcrossed? The end, the finale of Justice League okay. when the Thanagarians invade that mm-hmm. sets up Justice League Unlimited. Right. I'm pretty damn sure that Savage Time. Savage Time was also. Well, we'll see when we I, get I'm there. I'm pretty sure. We? I'm pretty sure Savage Time was the finale of season one. Mm-hmm. That sounds right. I'm. I'm I would stake some money on that. Um, How much money? All of my money. Which is not much. You know this. I do. <laughs> so, but um, yeah. The what were we talking about? Uh, permafrost yes. marine. Oh yeah, the angel that's always popping up in places. But no, so Static realizes that it's this girl that she's homeless. He tries to track her down. He ends up at a uh, like a homeless encampment in an old trolley depot, mm-hmm. um, and he gets a chance to see her her room, as it were. Which it's interesting because she actually has like her own space a little bit. Like there's a bed in there. It's like a normal bedroom, but I guess it's all made out of ice, isn't it? Like she created Yeah, that, all that was that. my guess was they like no one else can just go in there because she recreated her room as a kid. Yeah. A younger kid, because she's still a kid. Um That makes more sense. I thought she had all those things in there and then she just froze over them. She just them. froze over them. Like that no, in hindsight that doesn't make any sense. Right. It's a it's a depot where everyone is sleeping under like cardboard and bags and stuff like that. There's no way that she would have a the room. mattress. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like an actual like four post bed and stuff. Doesn't make any sense. But, you know, Virgil sees what's going on and he has this really fantastic conversation with um like a local reverend who I'm pretty sure was also voiced by Phil Lamar. That sounds right. Yeah. Um oh no. Oh my bad. No, 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 no. I had that wrong. It's Michael Dorn. I'm looking at the cast list right now. The great Michael Dorn, aka Worf from Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh. And a fantastic voice actor in his own right. He also is the voice of Calabac in Superman. Good to know. Yeah. I like Calabac. Yeah, Calabac's great. Were you also about ready to make an Ain't No Calabac Girl joke? No. Okay. Do you want to make that joke? No. Nope. rewind this and give you a chance Already to did. make that joke? No, nope, we're just keep on moving. <laughs> Do you mean like Ain't No Calabac Girl? <laughs> ain't No Callback to a Calabac? Yep. A Calabac Callback? I hate us. No. Sometimes. You should. You should hate you. <laughs> I really should. Um, yeah, so, the, so then Reverend gives the kind of the, the lesson of the episode of uh, she's not a faceless category, the homeless. She's still a person. Yeah. You still need to treat her with respect, which we've seen him do, which we've seen him not do so far. Like yeah. we, we've seen that moment where he does, like you said, just brush her off at the beginning and then confronts her as a villain and now has to see her as a person. As a person again, yeah. And they do a nice job about pointing out that it's like a it's a real problem and that a lot of folks who are homeless have mental issues that are either kind of like caused by the sort of isolation and loneliness that comes with being homeless or maybe they had them before but you know again they're still people and that a lot of them are also really young mm-hmm. too and it's for various reasons they run away or they lose their parents or any number of things, or they don't have a home to go back to. Right. And I thought they did a really nice job kind of acknowledging the reality of that situation and portraying it in a really empathetic way. Mm-hmm. I agree. 
<laughs> Thank you, Cameron. This is, uh, well, we'll be honest. This is a hard episode to make fun of. No, it, it, it is. One, it's a great episode, but also it's like it's an actual we live in L.A. where homeless are rampant. I mean, yeah, and yeah, in L.A. in particular, it's, it's getting really bad. Um, San Francisco is also really bad, too. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a genuine problem that there aren't real obvious easy solutions mm-hmm. to. And the, the thing is, is that this episode was almost 20 years old now at this point. Yeah. And talking about it. And it's really only gotten worse since well, then. There was the, uh, there's a, a tweet that's been going around over the past few months, which I love. Um, it's like, y'all realize Wally came out 10 years ago and you're still littering? What the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. It's really yeah. sad and true. Mm-hmm. Oh, we still didn't get it. We didn't get it. Oh, and then Segway made the fucking scooters. Oh, yeah, that's true. But we're heading towards those. We're heading towards those hover chairs. Absolutely. Uh, so then the episode <clears throat> kind of comes to its climax uh, at the tree lighting ceremony. Permafrost shows up and, and Static kind of bonds with her through talking about the loss of a parent. You yeah. Know, like she's not alone. There are people that have dealt with this and know how to help her with it. Yeah. No, it's a really impactful moment when she says, you know, how could you possibly know how I feel? It's like, I know exactly how you feel. I lost my mom too. And you're just like, fuck. Mm-hmm. Like they, they, they went there. They knew how to play that card really, really well and really have the emotional impact land in mm-hmm. that moment. And it, and it, it works. Like it makes her just like stop and realize like, oh yeah, this is another person who like sees me as like a real human being. Yeah. It's, it's a really touching moment. They do a really nice job with it. Mm-hmm. Q, uh, what was the, God, who's the old singer? Not old singer. Uh, Leona Lewis, was that her name? She had that one very popular song from 2011, Bleeding Hearts. I have no Beating idea. Hearts. Where, I have she no idea the, where you're going with she this. She did the theme song. <laughs> going nowhere with this. She did the theme song for Avatar called I See You. Uh, and that's where I was going with it. It's just like the Leona Lewis song, He Saw Her. Wow. Yep. Wow, Cameron. <laughs> we got there. Nope. Now, now this is my opportunity to hit you a little bit. Oh, please do. <laughs> I did appreciate uh, for for the world to know how good of a friend you are. On my birthday this week, you <laughs> did, you did. I I have I have told this story many a time of when I went to Disney World hoping to find someone I could speak Navian with. Uh, and and on my birthday, Chris warmed his chilled heart to send me. Happy birthday in Navian. Yep. Uh, and I appreciated it wait, very much. Wait, the language is Navian, not Navi? It's, you say it either way. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I, I always said Navian, but ne- I, now it's pretty much just written as, as Navi. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I just mm-hmm. like, I had to look it up. Yep. Also, I felt like a schmuck because I saw you like, what, the day before and we didn't celebrate your birthday? <laughs> no, I didn't tell anyone. I, I'm not, I don't like to celebrate my birthday. It- it is now in my phone. It was already in my phone, but I have a reminder set to remind me days beforehand. Okay. Because <laughs> I almost missed your birthday, almost missed CJ's birthday, mm-hmm. which are like days apart. Doesn't matter to anyone but us. Uh, but yes, I did have to wish you a happy birthday in, in Navi. Yes, and I appreciate it. <laughs> so I had to share how good of a friend you are on air. Yep. <laughs> Most of the time I'm not. Um, but no, I mean, they, it's a really sweet episode. It's a very empathetic episode. One of the moments I really liked actually was after static leaves, um, the church, he's had that conversation with the reverend and he doesn't know what to do. He's like trying to figure out how do I save this person who is 
you know, a, a danger, mm-hmm. but who really just needs help and he doesn't know how to do it. And he gets out of the church and he looks up. He's like, do you ever ever have, you know, a day like this? Like, oh, yeah, of course, he flies off. And I think that is maybe one of the most um, kind of obvious religious beats from one of the heroes at yeah. any point in in the series, which it, the you know, we get a few holiday episodes here and there. But the the DCAU really doesn't dive a lot into religion. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd say the closest it gets is probably in some ways Wonder Woman, just like her own beliefs, you know, like Hera, give me strength sort of thing, which is she just referring to her mom? It's unclear. Yeah, it's a little bit unclear now that I stop and think about it. But like religion isn't a huge part of this. And I liked that this episode actually went down that path. And I, I'm a pretty widely publicized, acknowledged, like a non-religious person. And I don't do well with religion in general. Mm-hmm. And I thought this episode handled it in a really positive constructive well especially with that last scene they left it open enough where like people who are religious can see that and be like oh he's talking to jesus yeah Uh, people who aren't religious might be able to construe that and be like oh he's talking to his mom oh i didn't even think about that that's a good mm -hmm. point yeah of like yes and not ending that sentence with someone's name yeah kind of leaves it open to anyone can perceive him talking to really anyone yeah it it that moment and then you know a comment the reverend makes about you know it's all about having faith like that's mm-hmm. really what the episode is about it's more about like faith and spirituality than it is like a particular origin religion in general yeah but no it's it's really it's really good i quite liked it so i i one way i would like them to rewrite this episode mm-hmm. is to seep in the flashbacks a little more discreetly yes they're uh, a little clunky because we done. yeah because we kind of had the bulk of a flashback and then back to normal, and then the bulk of the second half of that flashback, and then back to normal. Mm-hmm. Not normal. Back to present. And I think we could have started the episode hearing the ambulance go off, um, and then not knowing what it connects to. And then we see then we see her, and we see her seeing the mom and the daughter, mm-hmm. permafrost seeing the mom and daughter. And then we hear the ambulance go off again. And so we realize that's what's triggering her and her powers. Um, Interesting. And then we mm-hmm. have another moment uh, where we have like Virgil kind of coming through in the silhouette where she has the other flashback where she sees her dad. And then we get the dad and the mom situation. We mm-hmm. realize the dad was abusive and the mom was sick. And then we have the last flashback. I know that's four beats, but it's only technically three beats. Do you, I mean, along those lines though, do you think this episode actually needs those flashbacks? Like we, when he go when Sada goes to meet up with, I just keep saying the Reverend. He has an actual yeah, name, Re- uh, Reverend Anderson. That's what it is. Thank you. When he goes to meet up with Reverend Anderson, the Reverend gives a little bit of that backstory of like, oh yeah, her name's Maureen. Like she and her mom, or she used to come in all the time, and then like, about a year ago she disappeared, which Virgil points out is around the time of the Big Bang, and she's been gone ever since then. Like, is that enough? Do you feel like, or do you need that flashback moment to like make us fully understand where well, she's coming? No, from? we need the flashback because. We need to know about her mom because that's what connects Virgil and her. Ah, uh, you're right. The dead parent. But I mean, if what if when the Reverend's talking, he says like, "Oh yeah, like you know, she and her, you know, she used to come here after her mom died." He even I think says like her mom passed away. He, he has to tell yeah Virgil that otherwise he wouldn't know to say that at the end. Yeah, I I like the flashbacks. I I feel like especially okay. getting it from her perspective. Yeah. Is is important. No, I mean, I thought it was interesting. Because then we care about the kid. Because then she's not just a tragic villain. It's true. 
she actually has like a, a real human yeah, story. We, we want to fight for her. So we yeah. have to see, we can't just hear that she's her. Cause then, then it's just Mr. Freeze. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I, I, you raise a good point about it being from her perspective. Like one of the things I really liked is in the flashback, you never see the stepdad's face. It's mm-hmm. always in shadow. And then there's a photo that she's clearly torn out his face from it. So it's really just about her and her mom. Yeah. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. Do we want to move on to our, our second episode here? Uh, yeah, I had one more note on this mm-hmm. and uh, this is the second time to get, to continue to hammer in our point that, Daisy is free to 2.0. <laughs> we get our second reference to Lois Lane. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. Where he is joking about it with Daisy. The first time we hear the Lois Lane reference is in connection to Frida. Oh, so, that's right. She really is just a replacement for Frida. She is. Poor Frida. Does Frida come back again at any point, really? Uh, she She's kind of there. I, I have vague memories of like the four of them hanging out, starting when uh, Gear becomes more of a character. Oh, Gear. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. Can't wait for you. I actually have a that, comp- that was my character. Like that was who I looked up to. I cannot totally understand. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's the nerdy one. Exactly. Like, I mean, Virgil's nerdy, but Virgil's also cool. Mm-hmm. And like Richie is definitive, like a lot nerdier and goofier and a little more like out there. Yeah. And also his power set, I think, is a bit more interesting. Where it's like it's it's, being smart. It's just being <laughs> super, super smart. Just being wicked smart. Wicked smart. Uh, but actually, no. I have a comment about gear in relation to our next episode. Actually. Okay. So. Uh, yes, and then we have sunspots. Yes, um, going from very opposite ends of the spectrum here, from an episode all about it being cold and wintry and snowy, to an episode about the impact of sunspots. This is one of my favorite tropes of all time in like superhero sci-fi stuff. You see it regularly. It's like, oh, the sunspots. I think there wasn't even a Superman episode about this too, where like the sunspots were like playing. Yeah, like he loses his powers. I think. Yeah, was it as and. Maybe Smallville did this at one point too. This is very. I think it was Smallville. I don't think it was very Superman Smallville animated. Plot. I think it was Smallville. Yeah, because it's also this is also Spider Man Two. What? Spider Man Two. Oh, he, he loses, loses his powers. powers. Yeah, yeah, but I mean that means. But there's no explanation for it. He just loses them. But also, well, he doesn't believe in himself. Sorry, but... excuse me, I forgot. His powers look, are built on his belief system. Look. I, look, I will always maintain that Spider-Man 2 actually is one of probably the best superhero it's so, movies. I mean, Doc one Ock of, is so good. Yeah, one of the best superhero movies of all time. But for me, like how I always describe super, or Spider-Man 2 in What's the Sake Moment, it's just uh, Peter Parker jerking off his wrist going, work, damn you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the thing is also, if this is Spider-Man 2, it actually means it's Superman 2, because Superman mm-hmm. 2 did this first. The Superman, Superman the movie. Wait, there's a second Superman movie? Yeah, there is. There's, how many are there? Four. Four? Do you not know this? I can't, I can't tell when you're doing a bit or not. Yeah, there's four Superman movies, a Supergirl movie. Yes. And then Superman Returns, and then mm-hmm. Man of Steel. Yep. But less said about that, the better. But, I mean, okay, so the Superman, Superman 1 and 2 are the Simpsons of the superhero universe. Like, they did it first. Mm-hmm. Like, Superman the movie does like the classic superhero origin story, the love interest story, and then Superman 2 is all about choosing to be a normal person rather than being a hero. And that's basically like every superhero sequel since then. I mean, there's even an element of that in the dark night. Like he wants to give up being Batman just so we can be with Rachel. Yeah. The most boring human being in the world. Hey, hey now. She is. She's pretty. Yeah, but she's also just like, she's pretty milk toast. Yeah. Like she's no Selena Kyle. That's true. Is she, is she a lamp? 
She's a, she's she's kind of a lamp, isn't she? Oh, you could just but, um, a, lamp, but a lamp that catches fire and explodes. Well done, well <laughs> done. She's an old fashioned lamp. Yeah, I mean she's kind so of, a lantern. She's yeah, she's kind of a lamp. I mean, try to think. Female she, character that only there to motivate the hero. Yeah, a little bit. I mean. In at least in Batman Begins, she represents. She's a lamp that can write a letter. We'll say it that way because she, she, she can She can write a letter. At least in Batman Begins, she is. She represents like the actual legal side of things. Like mm-hmm. she is, you know, she's part of Batman's plan. It's like okay, he exposes the villains, Gordon arrests them, and then Rachel will prosecute because she's the one who's brave enough to do it. So she actually has a role to play, even mm-hmm. though she still ends up becoming a damsel in distress. She becomes a damsel in distress twice. Yeah. That I stop and think about it. Yep. Mm. Mm. We'll get to these at some point. <laughs> need to get some pointers from Megara. My girl. Megara? Meg? Oh. I'm a damsel. I'm in distress. Don't need your help. Yeah. Oh, good old Meg. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love her. So, yeah, in this episode, there are sunspots which are affecting anything uh, electromagnetic, apparently, including static. So now mm-hmm. he gets like overcharged and he has to find a way to like burn off this energy. Um, is this whole episode about teenage hormones, horniness, and masturbation? Yes. Okay. Always. <laughs> like, I wasn't thinking that initially, but then there's that moment where... Where his dick stopped working? Where his dip stopped... His dip... Yep. <laughs> Take two? His dip stopped working. No, there's that moment where uh, Mr. Hawkins makes a comment about how Virgil's too young to go on a date with Daisy. And it's like, it's interesting. It doesn't play out in any other real element of the story other than he like, he's trying to spend time with her, mm-hmm. but their relationship has always been like flirtatious platonic kind yeah. of. And I think it still plays here of him. Like having I, I to- did, I did love Shannon's come back to the dad though. Uh, oh, you've always down. been old. You've been old. <laughs> yeah, since you've been old since I could always remember. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, that's that's great. I would have gotten slapped. <laughs> oh, you absolutely would have. Uh, <laughs> but this episode. Like the fact they include it in there of maybe go like, oh, that's what this is about. Like you think about it, he all of a sudden like can't control himself, and so he has like a really embarrassing more like moment getting woken up by his sister in bed. He has another really embarrassing moment in a classroom later. If this isn't a metaphor for like awkward boners, I don't know what is. Mm-hmm. That that's interesting because I wasn't looking at it from that perspective. It maybe also because I've been watching Sex Education. Yeah, it's a great show. Great show. So that's like on my mind is awkward boners. Um, no, cause, cause coming from that perspective, yes, I, I do see that being the theme of the episode. Um, he's got all this like pent up energy. He has to go let it out. Yep. Let's go release it. He's, he's just flying out to the Harbor. Cause I, is that, is that your new metaphor? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry guys. I'm running late. Had to fly out to the Harbor real quick. Yeah. Ew. ew. Did you wash your hands? No. Great. Yeah. Um, cause I, I was coming from perspective where I don't think, we needed that first half uh, of him being overcharged. I think we should have stuck to just the the trope and the sunspot making him lose his powers. Yeah. And then, as we just mentioned before, the trope where he gets back on, you know, because we, we see him, like, heal his relationship with Daisy. I would have loved to see see a scene where he heals his relationship with Pops, with, mm-hmm. with Mr. Hawkins and his sister. Yeah. And, like, he's doing better in, in home. He's helping out the community center. Like, I, it's such a brief moment where he doesn't have his powers. Yeah. They kind of limit it to just the last, like, five minutes. 
because we also don't see a villain. I, I wrote the time code down in here. We don't see Hot Streak until 10 minutes and 36 seconds into the episode. Yeah. And you can tell they just used him because they needed to just drop in a villain we already knew. Yeah. And he's the one that makes the most sense because he does go to their high school. That's true. Well, he used to. Then he comes back again. Yeah. Somehow. No, I, I would agree with you. I thought that the the him losing his power stuff was way more interesting than him being overcharged. Yeah. Like, because they kind of like after his second time doing it, they had nowhere to go with it. No, because like the same stuff keeps happening to him. Like he wakes up in the morning and like the static electricity has drawn everything in his room towards him. Mm-hmm. It's not how that works. Uh, but yeah, but I I agree. But it's a callback to the the first episode when he had when he first got his powers. Oh, did that happen? Yeah. He had like his chair and everything started moving closer to him. He had the paper clips. He'd pick oh. up the hair dryer and would turn on without being plugged in. That's right. His mm-hmm. first thought was it was a ghost. Yeah. Or it was noise possessed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, there's like a, a I would, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I would rather have them done like maybe one brief beat with the sunspot giving like overcharging his powers mm-hmm. and then had it very quickly gone to like, oh, then he's Yeah, out. he like <clears throat> immediately burns out. Yeah. Exactly. And he goes to let it off. And he's like, oh, like, did I, like, let off too much power? Like, so I, the sunspots? What happened here? I think the turning point should have been you keep that first action shot. And then as he brings the car down uh, with the guy inside, who does, do, do you know who that voice actor was? Because that was a bad voice. Um, I thought it was Phil Lamar again. Was it? Oh, he wasn't trying. Static, Virgil Hawkins, Mr. McGill. It would have been Driver. Um, oh no, it's this person, Lawrence Hilton Jacobs, who I don't know what else they've done. They don't have a, a link okay. here, so. Um, I did not like the voice. Oh, okay. I didn't even notice it, to be honest. Uh, I think when the guy's like, oh yeah, can you take me to this area? You know, take me to a different part oh, of town. Oh yeah, the traffic here is scared of being flown through the sky. Yeah, great, great joke. But I think Static could have like done, like tried to do something. Was like start his car, yeah. Do do something like that, and he like kind of snaps his fingers, yeah. And that's when he's out, yeah. And then he has like, oh, I have to walk home now. And so then you have, then it leads into him coming home, and you can still have that same conversation about Daisy, yeah. Um, and pops, and you know, him having to make an excuse to pop. It's like, look, I don't think it's gonna happen any, any any for a while. Like, I'm I'm here, and then you can spend the next beat with him and his dad, mm-hmm. and him and Shannon. Sharon. And then Sharon, sorry. And then you go into him and Daisy in the next scene, him doing well on that test. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, hot street comes in, you see him not over bullying, but still kind of like bumping shoulders with people and Virgil still trying to stand into that. And then him having to like pull back, you have two beats of him pulling back, mm-hmm. um, before he, he realizes that he is now powerless. I actually, yeah, I would have liked that structure a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been more interesting to actually dwell on what that's like for Virgil. Because mm-hmm. he he does have a lot of other stuff in his life. Like, more so than certainly Batman. Mm-hmm. Or even Superman. Or even Terry. Terry didn't do anything. Yeah, I mean, that, like, we had a couple of those moments, like, oh, like, I'm stopping. I guess with that brief moment in Return of the Joker when he's like, oh, like I'm taking a break from this stuff. I'm actually going to be a home more often. I'm going to go spend time with Dana. Yeah, and then give, it, give it, us that moment. Yeah, but like Virgil has... Much like an episode of Danny Phantom. <laughs> I mean, it's look, they're all they're butch, doing ever. Butch, Butch, listen to me, Butch. You can't get away with this anymore. <laughs> We're calling you out. We could actually do a spinoff podcast. <laughs> 
where we just watched the the like the sister <laughs> episodes of Static Shock and anything Butch Hartman. Bitching about Butch. Ooh, I like this. I'm here for it. <laughs> Bitching Butch. No, we need. <laughs> you know me. All I want to do is create more podcasts. Hey, I know. Oh shit. Yeah, I it's it's like this was this was an episode of Danny Phantom, right? Didn't he lose his powers at one point? Uh no, he he goes through the ghost dream catcher, uh, which separates him from his ghost form. So he oh, has a human form and a ghost form. Because we talked about this once before. Probably like, on the uh, probably on the uh, when there was two statics. Were there yeah. 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 I think that's when we I know we've talked about the dream catcher thing before. Mm-hmm. And I think during I think during the killing joke not killing joke, return of the Joker. Maybe. Whatever. We've talked about it before. Yeah. Where his human side... Because that, that one is different. Because there is still a hero. Mm-hmm. Where in, in this, you you now have a city. You now have Dakota City without a static. Mm-hmm. And so that causes problems. Yeah. So you could even have that perspective. Even, like, you could even bring in another Bang Baby. It doesn't have to just be Hot Streak attacking school. But I think it should stay local. I, I do like yeah. it staying just local. And um, I like his solution like initially it's just run away we can't defeat him mm-hmm. and that's well i have to do something i'm the only one that can because he's i'm the only static only person that's actually put hot streak in his place right so and i love that they went and got the, like the zap caps i like they brought that back around again so that was kind of a fun little nod mm-hmm. and then that was pretty clever how like they use it to try to intimidate him and then once it stops yeah it actually comes with a real plan and like the real plan was kind of silly like go up onto the roof and then suck energy out of a big fan and somehow zap a hole in a water tank to take him out. Like, you could see where it was going, but it was, like, kind of clever enough. I feel like they're... I, I don't like that solution. Because I feel like what Richie said was the right point of, we don't know how much your body can conduct anymore. Yeah. And so I think what they should have done differently is they still have that water tower, have static, dodge the shots until Hot Streak hits the beam, and then you have the classic... Looney Tunes moment where the water tower tips and then lands on him. And then Hot Streak like races off the roof and then he looks down and finally realizes that he's off the building and then falls. Yeah. Yeah. Pulls a sign up. Help me. Mm -hmm. Whoops. Whoops. Yeah. And Danny goes, I mean, I I agree with you. I think that would be more interesting to see Virgil have to defeat someone without his powers at all. Mm -hmm. But I can also see why they had to do it this way because you had to set up that he could get his powers back so that when the end it makes sense that he has them once again. Oh, here, here's the, here's the, the, Final punch of it. You have Hot Streak lose his power. You have Hot Streak kind of fizz out with the water. He's still standing, and Virgil's like, uh oh, or static at you, uh oh. And then Hot Streak starts walking over to him. He's like, I don't need my powers to beat you. And then, you, you, like, we know he still has that little spark. Oh, he knows the water is more conductive than he is. Then he shocks the water and zaps him. And that, and yeah, and that knocks him out. I was going to say he uh, zaps the fan and then it turns on and blows. Hot streak off the side of the building. No, that was my first thought what they were going to do. No, but I think having, I think using the water tank alongside the power that he does have mm-hmm. would have been a more fun and creative route for them to use. Yeah, that could have been a little more interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I also thought it was odd that this episode has a really downer ending. Like, he has this moment where he's oh, super oh, yeah, excited. Daisy, yeah. yeah, he's so excited to have his powers back. And he's like, look, as fun as, as it was to have a normal life again... I missed being able to help people and I missed being able to like go and enjoy myself with these powers. And you know, I was like, Oh shit, I was supposed to meet up with Daisy. And then he gets there like just too late. And she's already walked away. And he basically like slinks off Charlie Brown style. All sad. Again, I, like, oh, I think damn. they could have rewritten that a little better. Yeah. I think what they should have done is when he's in the air, when he's kind of doing his tricks and talking to Richie, 
you have a moment where he's like, you know, it really showed me that like static is important, but it's also important to just like be me. Yeah. And so he's like, oh, Daisy. And then he bolts off to Daisy and Daisy's about to get up with the books. And we cut to static, like wa- to Virgil, like walking over with coffees mm-hmm. and be like, hey, sorry, I'm running late. I had to go get coffee. And then they sit down and then they, you know, Aww, they have their moment. Sweet little moment. Yeah. So yeah. Then, it, then it's growth. Because then you see yeah, him learning from the event. Yeah, he actually takes something away from it rather than just falling right back to where he was beforehand. Mm-hmm. Well, would have been nice to have just a slightly different thing. Yeah. Uh, one other little moment that I really loved is the beginning when the really boring science teacher is doing his lecture. Uh, that That is, in fact, someone doing a really fantastic... It's actually Phil Lamar it doing is, a yeah. really fantastic Ben Stein impression. Who's Ben Stein? Jesus Christ, Cameron. Have you ever seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Oh, that teacher, yeah. Yeah. So like the most famous, like boring teacher, like that's the trope specifically they're playing off of. Yeah. But then Ben Stein uh would pop up in a few of the other places here and there. He had a game show on Comedy Central way back in the day called Win Ben Stein's Money, where his co-host, so his like Andy Richter, was in fact um Jimmy Kimmel. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like Jimmy Kimmel. So started, this is like Man Show days or pre yeah, Man so Show Jan, days. Like, so I think I think the Man Show happened first. Okay. And then Jimmy Kimmel was also the sidekick on Win Ben Stein's Money, because like basically it was a, a trivia game show, and that by the very end of it, whoever was like the the last contestant standing would have to go toe to toe with Ben Stein in trivia questions. And so like at that point, Jimmy Kimmel would take over as like the quote unquote like host <clears throat> kind of. That's funny. Um, so yeah, that was like him way way back in the day. Also. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ran into Ben Stein once. Did you? I was peeing. Uh, we were filming at a hotel on Sunset Boulevard, and I walked over to the Rainbow Room, like a, a famous old L.A. haunt, to pick up lunch. And as I'm waiting for the food to come up, Ben Stein walks up to me. He looks at me and goes, Diet Coke's a hell of a thing. Sets down like a Coke cup and turns out and walks out the door. I was like, what the fuck just happened? Amazing. <laughs> I'm like, Ben Stein, what are you doing? Do you think after a certain level of fame and after a certain time frame, you're more interested in just like making weird stories for people? Oh, yeah. I feel like that's what Bill Murray does at this point. Oh, yeah. Bill Murray is is the most prolific of it. Yeah. Um, But even like my, my encounter with John Stamos, where he walked up to different pockets of people, would tell the same joke and then just leave and go to another pocket to tell the same joke yeah when did this happen uh when i was at a, a disney event oh that's right that's right uh, yeah. him okay. his, his wife him and his wife are both huge disney huge fanatic. disney people she's yeah. huge in the disney style community as well oh okay that makes so sense so she was there for disney style to be interviewed and he showed up she was dressed as uh red jasmine so when when um, oh okay yeah she's yeah under jafar the baby was dressed as aladdin and um John Stamos came in dressed as Genie. So good. Uh, and he came in. He's like, I think that's a former child of you is making your kid dress up like that. And I'm just leave. <laughs> and I heard him say that three times. You know, what's great is when John Stamos makes a dad joke, it works because one, he's an actual dad making a dad joke. Yeah. But two, he's just so damn attractive. You're like, oh, you can just say anything and I don't care. Yeah. Just keep talking. I'll be here. Oh, God, Stamos. Mm-hmm. Sexy, sexy Stamos. Yes. Yeah, so now, now that we've shown off our LA clout, I mean, I would much rather have an interaction with John Stamos than with Ben Stein. Yeah. <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Uh, but that was a fun little moment. I don't know. Anything else on this episode? Uh, I think that's pretty much it. All right. 
so we don't have any um, like major things in terms of notes from friends. Um, we had a, I was chatting with uh, Ashley Clark a little bit about the the bat suit, um, and we were really hoping that it was going to have the uh, the old comic book style ears. She actually sent me this really fantastic Instagram post of someone mm-hmm. photoshopping the ori- oh god that's the bad. original huge ears onto <laughs> to Robert Pattinson. Um, but kind of, uh, in lieu of a, uh, like a proper question from a listener, you had a question that you actually wanted us to, to dive into here. I did. And I'm trying to remember what movie trailer prompted this question, but it is, was what... it the Tenet trailer? No, it wasn't Tenet. It, it was probably fat. It was probably the Fast 9 trailer, even yeah, though probably. it has neither of these. But, uh, but my question was, what is a bigger cop out, uh, for screenwriting, time travel or introducing a multiverse so or you can be like marvel and have both okay i i think and and i I want to cop out in what sort of context i was was just about to say that cop out as in um it's not the first movie they're introducing it in it's it's down the line they're kind of using it as a mechanism to further a muddled plot or to fix a muddled plot. Okay. I'm trying to think of franchises or shows that introduced time travel down the line and weren't built around the concept of time travel. Because you have Flash. Flash has both. But time True. travel is more integrated than... Mul- Multiverse is now more integrated than time travel. But when yeah. the show started, it was kind of like... Time travel was the component of season one. Yeah. Where like that was necessary to make sense of, uh, the mom being shot. Okay. So two, two major examples that come to mind are the MCU. Yep. And Harry Potter. Okay. Yeah. Cause it's your two forms of time travel. Well, I meant more just like two examples of universes that introduced time travel down the line and didn't didn't introduce it right at the beginning and set it up as a, a critical, crux of the premise correct they're like they're not movies about time travel or multiverses because actually there haven't been that many movies about the multiverse i would the only the only one that comes to mind is the one with jet lee yeah i i i guess oh because now now i'm kind of muddling up the difference between multiverse and like multi-timeline Kind of your your um, Looper slash Back to the Future two. Yeah, but that that would still be in in basic terms. I would still be construed under time or yeah. time travel and not or uh, the two thousand nine Star Trek reboot doing the same thing. It's, it's, right, it's a splinter timeline. I I think it's time travel is a bigger cop out than the multiverse because it's been done more often. Multiverse is newer. Multiverse is newer, and multiverse. I think people were inherently like assumed it was more complicated. So they don't use it quite as often because I mean, again, there was the one, but then now we got it in into the spider verse, obviously, which did a really fantastic job with it. Um, we now get it in the Arrowverse, but like the idea of there being an actual multiverse is still kind of limited in its pop culture saturation. Where it's like time travel is a trope within of itself. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think time travel is a bigger cop out. I think it's been used as a cop-out more often. And I think Endgame is amazing as being this this incredible 
like finale to this this long running arc, and it's amazing storytelling and character work, and it's a movie that should not work and does. But that is a thing. It's like you if you introduce this universe breaking concept like time travel, you then have to kind of write around why you're never able to do it again. Mm-hmm. And I think that does create problems down the line. I mean, they even had to explain that in Harry Potter. I was like, going to bring oh, that up yeah, with the, oh, the play. Yeah. Oh, the you know, the play. But even before then, I think I want to say in the fifth or sixth book, they make a comment about how all the time turners were destroyed during the ministry fight. Right. And then I know that comes back to, into um, the plot in the, the play, which is all about time travel. Yeah. Where you find out that one wasn't destroyed. And it's so dumb. It is. But it's still so well done. I mean, it's it's. I know it's gorgeous. I might go try and see it at some point this year. Actually, you should. San let me know because I I might I might. But, but, I might but would it come again? again? Yeah. Um, I think that is more of a cop out. I, I, I think yeah. it's also utilized more as a cop out because time travel exists enough in the the, the zeitgeist that it can be introduced without having to do a lot of explanation. Mm-hmm. People understand what time travel is. You can just throw it in there, like, oh, time travel solved this problem. Right. Versus the multiverse, which I think requires a little more explanation. And I feel like time travel is used to fix things in a way the multiverse isn't yet. Right. So part two of the question, because I, I had this this talk with a friend the other day. Mm-hmm. Which would you rather see incorporated first into the fast universe? You have you have to pick one. Do you want a racing multiverse? I <clears throat> Would actually like to see them use time travel. That was our answer. Because Let's I see your reason. I would love state your reason. I would love to see them do what Endgame did so well of having the characters revisit points of past films, but have it done in the most ham-fisted, clunky way possible because it's the Fast and the Furious movies. Mm-hmm. We we said time travel because we want to see Dom. Uh, race his kid. <laughs> we want his kid to come back oh in time. Oh <laughs> my God. Yes. You have found it. Yeah. You have found the thing they could do that would be even more ridiculous to have them going into space, which is to have Dom's kid from the future show up. Yeah. And given that somehow John Cena is his long lost brother who is the world's like deadliest fast car driving mercenary that does not seem that implausible right yeah we also had we also had the thought of since this is a fast and furious movie and this is now the second appearance of charlie's theron that there is like a 70 percent chance that she will join the team by the end of the movie oh it's absolutely true yeah like uh as <laughs> helen o'hara of the empire podcast the lo- the, the empire podcast what is that um where can we find that <laughs> Isn't that a magazine? How's there a podcast about it? I know the Empire Magazine. It's uh, they just literally read the magazine out every oh, week. They, great. Yeah, every month they put out an episode and they just like. Uh, is it online just, or is it like just like at a street corner? Someone's just there reading a they, magazine. They mail out CDs oh. that you put into a CD-ROM Got or it. into like a a boombox, mm-hmm. and you listen to a person who's British, so it sounds amazing. Great. Just read the magazine. Um, it's long, like it's, it takes up like the full, full disc. Okay. Uh, sometimes if they have a bonus episode, they have to send out two discs. Oh, get that. Yeah. That full sound. That must be a nice treat though. Oh, it is like, oh my God, I have so much time to kill. Open your mail. 
see your Nickelodeon magazine, your Empire magazine, and there <laughs> happens to be two discs that fall out. Two discs, like, oh my God, I know what I'm doing for the next three days. Yeah. A third disc pops out, which is an AOL free subscription. Oh, yeah. I mean, you just can't escape those at this point. I know. How much, how much landmass do you think in the world that's occupied by discarded AOL, Time Warner, free trial discs? I bet if you stacked them up, because discs are thin, they would be six stories tall. I think that's a. I think yeah, I'm lowballing it. I, I'm I'm thinking like you're you're competing with like the Empire State Building or something like okay. that. Okay. And that's sixty feet. Is six stories. Yeah, it's a lot of discs. It's a lot of discs. It's a lot of discs. There was uh to to tangent off your tangent, uh, I listened to How Did This Get Made this week mm-hmm. where they watched Space Jam. Oh, how was that? So good. Yeah. Because they did it in Chicago, mm-hmm. so obviously making fun of Chicago fans at the same time. Yes. Uh, but at the end, Paul opens up a question to, to June and, and, um, Jason Manzoukas of how much money do you think WB has made off of Space Jam merch alone? Oh shit. And the, the, the answer they had was from 2009. Okay. So we can imagine it's gone up since then. What was the number for 2009? For 2009. What, what, what's your guess? The, the movie would have been out for 14 years at that point. Thirty million. One point two billion dollars in Holy merch. Shit. And they said now in a in a international market, they think Space Jam merch has made four billion dollars in merch. Oh my god. So in other words, Space Jam merchandise has the same value as all of Lucasfilm or Marvel exactly. at the time they were purchased by Disney. Exactly. Holy shit. And then the movie itself made 232 million in box office. Yeah. But I mean that movie has lived on. It's like a cult classic for yeah. such a long long time. Mm-hmm. Still getting a new one. It, it it was so funny listening to their perspective as three people that had never seen the movie before that day. Oh, they'd never seen it? No. Oh, wow. That's crazy. And so they hated it. I was going to say, like, it's not particularly good, is it? How dare you? It's a, it's a masterpiece. I mean, it's not, though, isn't it? <laughs> no. It's like Hocus Pocus. You watch it and you're like, oh, I get why this has a cult classic appeal, but it's not particularly good. Mm-hmm. To be fair, most of Rocky Horror is that way, too. Don't. Don't. Don't go there. <laughs> like, Rocky Horror really dips out not too long after, like... The big numbers. Well, I was gonna say yeah. After uh, touch a touch a touch a touch me. Yeah. A, a, so after the time warp, after touch a touch a touch me. Mm-hmm. Well, after um. Because well, then they, I'll the, make you a man. Uh, well, yeah. That's that's pre touch a touch a touch me. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's time warp. Make a man. Touch 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 me. Uh, and then meatloaf. And then oh, there's kind yeah. of forty five minutes of nothing. Of nothing. Um. And then it's um Transylvania. No wait, sweet transvestite. No, that's the opening. That's the beginning. Yeah, that's the beginning. Oh, but the, yeah, the, the then the the finale when they're all like frozen and get unfrozen. Yes, that part's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good song. But a lot of the middle of that stuff. I do, I do remember watching that movie when I was thirteen at a friend's birthday, and I remember being like weirdly intrigued by the scene where Brad I'm going thinks home. he's being I'm okay yeah when Brad thinks he's being seduced by, uh, by his wife. Susan Sarandon yeah. and then it turns out that it's Frankenfurt I remember being like huh something 
something's going on here. Something just click inside me. Something, something's falling into place. I don't know what this is yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, but winding it way back to where we started Sorry, with all these yes. tangents. As they, as Helen O'Hara left, say in the Empire podcast, um, you either like die a villain or live long enough to see yourself become the hero. Like quite the opposite of the the phrase from The Dark Knight, mm-hmm. which is like all villains eventually become heroes if you give them enough screen time. That's right. Like it happens with um, Darth Vader, mm-hmm. essentially, although his like an actual proper redemptive arcs kind of make sense. But it happens with like fucking like Freddy Krueger and Jason. It happened with the goddamn Predator with Alien versus Predator. Like eventually these characters have enough screen time that they end up becoming heroes in their own right. Well, because you, you will introduce a a more evil thing. Yeah, exactly. And so then it becomes the enemy and my enemy is my friend. Yeah, essentially. And so I think that's, I think you're right. That's what's going to happen. It's like by the end of this, they're going to, because I mean, that fucking happened to Jason Statham. Yeah. It's happened to every other character. Yeah, actually pretty much. Except for, um, Rick Yoon's character, in the very first Fast and the Furious movie, the guy who was accused of stealing the DVDs, but didn't, he drove from the, the Honda S 2000. Okay. He, I don't know if he directly shot or if his like team is one of his gang guys shot Jesse, but he doesn't ever come back in a sort of redemptive way. Okay. But even Vince does, right? Cause like he, he's just kind of like an antagonistic force in the original one. Not wait, is it Vince? I, I honestly don't remember anything pre prior to the guy, the guy who was in uh, love Tokyo with Drift. the sister in the very first movie who like, it's not part of Tokyo Drift, so I don't he remember. Gets, he gets his arm all fucked up in the, the the DVD chase at the end. And then I feel like eventually he, like, betrays the team, but then he, like, comes back and he's like, welcome back into the fold. Like, every villain in... Even The Rock, right? Is like, yeah. he's an antagonistic force, and eventually he becomes a good guy again. Like, every villain eventually becomes a hero. So, yeah. So, now, okay, along another tangent here. Who do you think is going to surpass... Charlize Theron as like the big, big bad. Like, is she going to turn good over the course of this next movie? Well, I I think we're going to learn that Charlize Theron is doing what she's doing to get at, uh, I think I mentioned this before, at the, the, the company that made, uh, Idris Elba. Oh, uh, Everglast, Everclear, ever, ever, Evermore, Evershine. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I think that's going to be the overarching villain. It will be the company. Okay. So we're going to find out. We're going to see who the head of the company is at the end oh, of yeah. this movie. Yeah. And that will be the main antagonist for 10, which I think will be the finale. Oh, but I've now heard that Vin Diesel's made a comment apparently about how 10 is going to be in two parts. Even better. <laughs> God damn. You know, it makes everything better. Two parts. Two parts. Oh. Do you think that it, the cliffhanger at the end of... 10 part one is going to be them literally hanging over a cliff. Absolutely. Or on the moon, a moon cliff, a moon cliff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, a time traveled moon cliff. So I don't know. I think that, Oh, someone's having fun out there. I think the term cliffhanger, I think originated from like the old movie serials, right? Where like mm-hmm. it oftentimes literally end with a character hanging off of a cliff. Yeah. But I think one of the greatest examples ever used in a movie though, is the end of the original Italian jobs. The one from the sixties with Michael Caine. Okay. Because I guess it's technically a spoiler kind of for a 60-year-old Whatever. movie. But the they've like kind of gotten away with it. And then they're basically driving this like big bus down like an Italian mountain road. And like they swerve off. And then the the like the bus is literally like teetering over the edge of the cliff, right? And they don't know what's gonna happen. And then Michael goes, Oh, wait, I've got an idea, which is like one of his catchphrases of the movie, and the movie ends there. 
It's actually like it's a it's a really genius way to end a movie like that. That's good. Um, great cliffhanger moment. But yeah, wait, I, did I ever? I never actually asked you in kind. Do you feel which one's the bigger cop out? I, I agree. I time agree. travel. I think, I think time travel is um, just just as you said. It's it's more rooted in our culture. We've seen it for so long. Yeah, I was gonna say since Back to the Future, but even you know in sci-fi before then and in, in books. Yeah, I mean the time machine exactly it was written in eighteen hundreds. So. Have you ever read? This? I mean, you don't read, no. but have you ever? That book is so big. No, so, it's not. It's not. I thought it was the, like no. The, the time machine's short. Which one am I thinking of? I don't What's know. The one that's like nine... Like no, isn't it like nine of, like, parts? Crime and punishment. No, there. I I think the time machine is like nine parts. I have literally read the time machine. It is very very short. There, there's one time traveling book franchise. Are you thinking of like the Wheel of Time? That's what I'm thinking of. Oh, for fuck's sake. That's the one that's like 13 parts. Yeah, no. Like H.G. Wells' The Time Machine is actually very, very short. Okay. I read it as a kid. Mm-hmm. I, I read a book. I read a book last weekend. You read an I actual t- book? I read an actual book. Wait, should we go ahead and move on to Bat Plugs? <laughs> so you can talk about this book you read? <laughs> I can. Yeah. Okay. All right, so Cameron, what book did you read? Uh, I read Six of Crows. I think I, I started listening to it, and then I read the second half of it. What's Six of Crows? Six of Crows is a uh, fantasy book uh, about kind of like a fan, uh, like a middle, not even Middle Earth esque, like a an old timey heist. Okay. Um, so it's fantasy world esque, where you have kind of um, this this fantasy map. And most people are are normal humans, but you have this one race called the Grisha, mm-hmm. um, or the Gisha, who who are have like light superpowers. Okay. Um, and the world hates the Grisha because they're better than them at everything, and so half the world is trying to kill them, and half the world is trying to enslave them. Okay. Um, you find out that one Grisha has found a way to enhance other Grisha's powers, uh, and then the main villains have captured him. And so this one crime boss kind of gathers an Ocean's Eleven-esque team. Love it. To break into the prison where they're keeping this one scientist, Grisha, to break him out uh, and, and kind of keep them for themselves. Keep him for themselves. Oh, that's cool. Um, but on in the team, you have, like, they're Grisha part of the team. There's, um, there's one guy that's part of the villain's. And so he's like, no, I can't betray my country. The Grisha girl would rather kill him than him be enslaved by these other people. So everyone kind of has their own motive to capturing this guy. Okay. Um, and it was it was really good. It it is it a is it a one off? Is it a? It's it's a duology. As I found out as I was finishing the last chapter, okay, I got a little upset because uh, the characters are great. I'm I'm excited to read the second one, but I was also ready to like close the book and you know that feeling of like oh i did oh, I've, it I've, yeah um there, there is something very satisfying about one-off stories yeah and it's kind of disappointing when you realize like oh it's just gonna keep on going yes yeah, so i i've just finished six of crows it, it was great highly recommend it um it, it's a great world uh and yeah I, I will let you know about the sequel when i finish that one okay have you so you started the sequel no not yet okay mm-hmm. are you someone who if you come across a series and all of the books are out, will you read the entire series in one go or you, you separate them out a little bit? I, I have never been in the situation outside of Harry Potter. Fair enough. Um, but I think Which right you've never now, read. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, what I think I'm going to do now is... Do you is, own copies of the Harry Potter I books? I do. How many copies do you own of the Harry Potter books? A full set. Okay. Mm-hmm. Including the um, the three side stories, two side stories. Oh, okay. The Bard of... Beetle the Bard. Yep. And um, Fantastic, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then Cursed Child. Yes, well. of course, yeah. Um, but I just got the second book of the um, Earthsea stories. Oh, so okay, I think I'm that's right. Between yeah. the two. Okay. Because Earthsea is great. Oh, that's a bold choice, balancing between two very dense, like, fantasy sci-fi mythologies. Well, uh, Six of Crows is only two, where yeah. Earthsea is nine. Yeah. Um, so I'll kind of just, like, give myself time between each Earthsea. Okay. Because um, I, I still, like, I remember the world very well. It's a very well-written world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll plug that, and then I will plug... Um, I'll plug Lock and Key. Oh yeah, how is it? Not great. No, no. I I uh I've been talking to one of my coworkers who loves the comic series, um, and she has been like pushing. She she's also my supervisor now. She's been pushing me and pushing me to read it, um, because she also watched the series and it got a huge horrible YA treatment. Um, Interesting. Yeah, where like I've heard about the the craziness and creativity of the Lock and Key series, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's super muddled down in this. Oh. Like you see four keys in ten episodes. Mm. Uh, one of which I think the one that was the most interesting, uh, which is the door to kind of like the, uh, which is the door to like another realm. Uh, you see used once. Oh. And then they kind of close the door and they never open again. Oh, I'm like, but that's the one I want. Like they meet the guy who builds the house. Yeah. Uh, and then never talk to him again. They don't ask him any questions about the keys, about the house, oh, about the history. Yeah. And I feel like that's your exposition trap right there. It's like, just let him explain everything for you. Yeah. Uh, but nope. They, they meet him once and they never mention him again. Oh, that's too bad. It, it looked interesting. I was hoping yeah. it was going to be good. Um, but yeah, I, like, it, it's one of those shows, where, like, if you've watched everything else on your list, then sure, turn it okay. on. But I, I don't think it's a, a, nece- a necessity. Okay. Yeah, well, that's definitely not the point I'm going to reach, because I, I never have enough time to get caught up on everything. Yeah. So. What about you? What, what have you been plugging? What, what will you plug? Uh, so I finished a book recently called The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. Okay. Um, by Stuart... Turton, I want to say it'll be in the show notes the, the specific name, but it uh, it caught my eye a while ago and I went and tracked it down and started reading it and it's an interesting concept. It's basically that uh, this character keeps waking up every day in the body of a house guest of this old like English Victorian oh, manner, and it's the same day playing out, but he's in a different body each time and he's trying to figure out who murders this other character named Evelyn Hardcastle. So it's got a bit of like a sci-fi element to it because there's like that kind of like quantum leap body jumping thing going on. And it's like, he's figuring out who he is and what's going on. And there's these kind of players slash overseers that are clearly shepherding the story to some degree. And so you, but it's also like a murder mystery and it's, it's really atmospheric. Like, the, the author does such a fantastic job just, like, putting just, like, the the dark, decrepit, oozing 
visual of the the house in this world into every single sentence. Okay. Like it's really, really well written, really atmospheric, um, super interesting idea that they actually do a pretty good job with. Mm-hmm. And like each person he jumps into is different enough in the last that it feels like the story is constantly changing and constantly evolving. And he has kind of learned like, Oh, well this person is naturally kind of intelligent. I'm able to retain some of their intelligence. Whereas like maybe this person is like not as intelligent, but you know, is like really like brash. Like he'll ask things other people would be afraid to do because he doesn't have the same sort of social graces. And so it's the, this character like having to either cooperate with or fight against the natural instincts, the people that he's now inhabiting. Mm hmm. It's really, really good. I quite enjoyed it. Um, nice. That sounds yeah. super interesting. Yeah, no, it's it's a good read. Well, we're checking out. And then once I finished that, I uh, started reading the Grayson comics from Tom King. Yeah. Because they're all up on DC Universe. That's the one where he's a, a secret agent? He's a spy, yeah. Where he's got all the super sexy covers? Uh, yes. That, yes, let's just say yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. Yeah. Uh, but any no, cover with Dick Grayson is a super oh, the, sexy the cover. Oh, the comic covers, right. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's so he's working for this organization called Spiral that's actually um, one of his, his partner is Helena Bertinelli, which is kind of cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and it, the, what I, one of the things I love about it is that it shamelessly exploits Dick Grayson for how sexy he is. Exactly. And like other characters around him do that too. Um, like there's this fantastic moment where as part of his cover, as part of his agency, he's become a, like a gym teacher for all the, like it's a, a boarding school for girls. Right. And they like the girls just standing in the line, like watching him do acrobatics. And they're talking about how like they've named each one of his butt cheeks <laughs> and how one of them just leads to get way more attention than the other. And like, and you know, he's always wearing like super tight clothes and lots of like, you know, glamour butt shots. And there's like moments too, where they have to do like, they have to like inspect him. And so he's just like standing there naked. Like, is this absolutely necessary? And everyone goes, yes, <laughs> yes, it is. That's good. But it's fun. You know, it, it definitely plays on like kind of James Bond spy traps a little bit here and there. Um, if the, if there's one thing that's not quite working for me, I'm not, I'm not done with it yet, but I find that sometimes just plucking a, a run of a comic out of the rest of the history, you are obviously then bound by all these other things that are happening around it. So at the same time that the Grayson story happened, which was in like 2015, this was the period where there's something called the Robin Wars happening in Gotham. It's also the same point where for some reason Bruce Wayne has amnesia. And this is the period where Jim Gordon is Batman and that like big, like police style mech suit. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that's kind of happening in the background. I kind of like vaguely know what's going on, but it's a little bit weird because they still have to tie this in. Also, this is the period where Superman has become depowered and that's when he's running around just like the jeans and the t-shirt and like the buzz cut and he's been outed. So everyone knows he's Clark Kent, but people don't think he's actually Superman it gets a little bit weird having to incorporate all those things. And then it also starts to get like bogged down in mythology that goes a little bit too crazy for me at a certain point. Okay. Like the deeper they unravel, like what spiral is and what it's all about, it just starts to get really kind of weird and convoluted. I'm like not super loving. I kind of want it to be more, just be like a romp, but obviously it has to have a, an arc to it. Right. But I mean, it, it is well written. I'm definitely enjoying it. I'm just enjoying it being Dick Grayson through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it makes me want to go read some of Tom King's other stuff. Cause I've heard that his run on vision is supposed to be amazing. His run on Mr. Miracle is supposed to be really incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard mixed things about his run on Batman. Um, okay. but yeah, I know it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, worth a read. It's pretty good. Nice. So yeah, I think we're going to call it. 
I think we're ready to call it, indeed. Uh, and if you have recommendations for things you've been reading or watching, or if you want to shoot us a note or a question in the vein of Cameron's uh, What is the Greater Sci-Fi Cop-Out, yes. you can find us at Tim TimTalkBond on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. Yes, you can. You can find me at Lordifer on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can find my art, which will hopefully soon be updated at some point, at Cameron.Dexter. And if you want to see my face, which is also soon to be updated, I guess. What? Um, you, you, online. You, you online. Have a, you have not, some not, my, not my actual you, you getting, face. Some... My profile page. <laughs> Are you finally getting those Botox injections I you've been am. talking about for such a long time? Yeah. I'm I, so I've very warned, droopy when I wake up. I've warned you against it. My philosophy with plastic surgery is always subtract, don't add. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I can't stop you from doing what you want to do. Yeah, well, so. it's my body. <laughs> uh, you can find that at camdexter.squareventures. Uh, it's your temple. You can add renovations to it if you want. Exactly. Fantastic. All right. Well, uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, we'll be back to taking a week off. I don't think there's any bonus episodes coming up in the meantime. So see us again in two weeks for more Static Shock. Yes. Right? That's right. Is there anything else coming? Uh, I mean, we're going to that movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. There might be another bonus episode. We'll see. You'll find out in a week. <laughs> thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. Bye. Superhero static. Whoop, whoop.